You're listening to a recent sermon from a Covenant Church worship experience. For more information, you can find us online at covenantchurch.us. Oftentimes, we do not aspire to greatness for fear of looking vain. Yet greatness and spiritual leadership is exactly what we need in our churches, businesses, homes, and our world. This message is from part two of our series, Pursue Greatness, where we are learning how we can leave the good to pursue the great. And now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. In 1329, a knight by the name of Sir James Douglas knelt beside the bed of his friend and dying king, Robert the Bruce. I don't know if the name Robert the Bruce sounds familiar to you, but this man was more than just a king. This was this knight's friend. James and Robert had been on many adventures together. They'd been through many battles, and they'd been, on, uh, been through many wars together, many adventures. And as it turns out, it seemed that this was going to be the last adventure. As Sir James looked down at his weekend king, he thought, this is it. It's coming to an end. That is until the king, Robert, made one final request of his closest knight. The request was this. Upon dying, the king wanted his heart cut from out of his chest, placed in a jar, tied round the neck of Sir James, and carried into every battle he would enter into. This isn't even the greatest part of the story. What's great about the story is that Sir James actually honored his dying king's wish. So after Robert the king, the Bruce, died, his heart was promptly cut from out of his chest, placed into a jar and embalmed. And it's said that every time Sir James would ride into battle atop his horse, you could see this thick chain wrapped around his neck, clasped to a jar that contained the heart of his king. Pretty intense. About a year later, in the spring of 1330, <clears throat> Sir James and a small handful of knights set sail to Spain from Scotland. They were there to extinguish a few foes, but on one ill-fated battle, they came up against greater resistance than they had anticipated against the Moors, and they were vastly outnumbered. And not only were they vastly outnumbered, but they were also surrounded. And Sir James was left with one of two options. Number one, he could surrender and escape with his life and maybe the life, lives of his small group of knights. Or two, they could fight. But if they were to fight, it would mean death, certain death. It was certain and imminent. It said that Sir James, sitting on top of his horse, looked out across the battlefield at the eyes of his enemies then slowly looked back at this small handful of knights. They looked at him with nervous anticipation. He was their leader. What would he choose to do? No matter what, they would follow him. And it's said that Sir James slowly reached around his neck, gripping the cold, hard metal between his fingers, lifted the chain from off of his neck, grabbed the jar that contained the heart of his king, and threw it as far as he could into the center of the battlefield. He drew his sword 
pointed it at the enemy and started to charge at his enemies. And you could hear him screaming these words. Fight with a brave heart. Fight for the heart of your king. Now, Sir James died that day, along with most of his knights at the hand of their enemy. But his legend lives on in the hearts and the minds and even the songs of the Scottish people today. What is it about some leaders that compels us to follow them, even if it means certain death? Think about it. When we talk about great leaders, one of the reasons we talk about them is because we're speaking of people who have other people willingly follow them into perilous situations. And that's fascinating to us. It's compelling to us. We get a lot of illustrations for this, of course, from the battlefield and from war stories, great generals, great leaders. And if you were to sit a soldier down and you were to ask them, why is it that you would take a bullet for your squad leader? Why is it that you would take a bullet for your general? They all would answer and they all answer in the same way. They all say, because they would do the same for me. Last week, we spent some time unpacking level one leadership, which is known as practical or positional leadership. And positional leadership means that somebody follows you because of your position over them. But today in level two leadership, we're not talking about a leader's position over someone. We're talking about a, re- a, a leader's position, I'm sorry, a leader's relationship with someone. Because we find that, we find that although people may begrudgingly follow you because of your position, people will willingly choose to follow you because of your relationship. And great leaders understand that people don't follow you for who you are. People follow you for who you are to them. Once again, reminding us that great leaders inspire people around them to do more than they ever thought possible out of of the relationship that they share. If you're taking notes this morning, the big idea is this. Level two leaders are always leading people somewhere. If there is no journey, there is no leadership. Now, we read from the book of Matthew last week, and we talked about the initial call of Jesus when Jesus originally called his first disciples, and he used two words initially to call them. What were they? Follow me. Two simple, very simple, but complicated uh, relationally words that Jesus used. And in the moment that he called them, they followed him. But they, they didn't follow him because of a relationship. Jesus didn't have a relationship with them. They followed him because of his position as a rabbi. The disciples first followed Jesus positionally. But over time, something shifted. Over time, something began to change. And we begin to see some evidence of this, starting in the book of John. Chapter 6, starting verse 53, says this. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. It's a very uplifting passage. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. 
As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Jump down to verse 66 and listen to this. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That's pretty understandable. So Jesus said to the twelve, the twelve who? The original twelve that Jesus first called. And he looks at them and he says this, do you want to go away as well? And then who should speak up but our good friend, Peter? We love Peter. Classic Peter. Simon Peter says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What was it that shifted inside of Peter that had him viewing Jesus from a relational standpoint and less of a positional standpoint as a rabbi? Everybody else viewed him positionally as a rabbi, just now not a rabbi they were willing to follow. He was, he was a rabbi on the edge, right? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. I'll get myself a new rabbi, thank you. But something had shifted in Peter. And what you may not know is that just one night previous to this very conversation, Peter had a relational experience with Jesus that would forever change him. One that shifted his following of Jesus from rabbi to Messiah. Sometimes we have this way of viewing scripture and especially stories we read in scripture like they're a fairy tale, like there's something that didn't actually happen. When in all reality, Peter had a real encounter with Jesus where he truly stepped out of a boat and walked on water. Take yourself to that moment. Be in that boat with Peter. The rain pouring down, the waves growing higher, the, the, the wind swirling around you. And as a Jew, you would have been especially scared because the Jewish men and women at that point in time had the view that Sheol or hell was in the depths of the sea. So their, their fear of, of deep water was rooted out of the idea that if you fell in and drowned, you were going to go to hell. So when all of a sudden they see somebody walking across the water, what do they think? This is a ghost. Come to drag us down to the pit. And in the moment when someone realizes it's Jesus, Peter's like, this really is the Son of God. This really is the Messiah. And he steps out and he walks on water, which is a pretty incredible thing, I have to say, right? Humans were not meant to walk on H2O. <laughs> and in this moment, Peter went from just seeing Jesus as a good teacher to seeing Jesus as the Son of God. In this moment, Peter went from following Jesus as a man of position to a Savior that chose to have a relationship with him. And from this point on, this is how Jesus led Peter from a relational standpoint. 
Jesus was able to speak into Peter's life very difficult, very hard and challenging truth time and time again because Jesus was not just leading Peter positionally, but he was now rather leading him relationally. Now, skip to the end of the Gospels in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, and all of a sudden things make so much more sense. We have this conversation This interaction that happens between Peter and Jesus. Jesus knows that he's going to be arrested later on in that day and that he's going to be ultimately crucified. The disciples don't have any clue about this. But Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, I want you to know that this very night you're going to deny me. And Peter obviously goes into classic Peter mode, right? He gets all barrel chested and and flushed in the face and and very loud. And he says, I would never deny you, Jesus. I would die first. And Jesus, in his soft, relational way, looks at him and says, Peter, not only will you deny me, but tonight, this very evening, you will deny me three times. Peter goes away, obviously upset. But skip to that evening and what takes place. Jesus is arrested He's taken in, the disciples scatter. And then we read this in verse 75 of Matthew 26. And notice the most interesting part is Peter's reaction. Look, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And here it is. And he went out and wept bitterly. Why did Peter weep bitterly? Why was Peter so broken? Why was Peter so ashamed? Because was it because Jesus was right and Peter was wrong? Was it because Peter was embarrassed that he had denied Jesus? Was it because he was ashamed? Was, was it even because Peter was, was a little scared? Or was it because he had denied a relationship with a friend and a leader who he knew would have never denied him? See, Peter knew that Jesus Christ would have never denied him. This was the type of relational leader that Jesus Christ was. Did he speak truth? Yes. Did he speak hard truth? Yes. Did he offer tough challenges? Of course he did. Did he push Peter and the disciples harder and press them harder than anyone had previously? Yes. But Jesus did it from the standpoint of a relational leader, a standpoint built on time, truth, and intimacy. Jesus was a relational leader. What's interesting about this, and think about this, is that it's Peter's understanding of Jesus' friendship and relational leadership that actually becomes the catalyst to restore the relationship. Think. Peter denies Jesus three times, goes away, weeps. He doesn't know that Christ is going to die and then rise again. He thinks this is the last time that he had really ever interacted or seen Christ or or represented him and he had failed. Jesus rises from the dead. And then look at this interaction (laughs) that Jesus and Peter have. When Jesus shows up, John chapter 21, starting in verse four, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Now, remember, this is after Christ has died and arose again. The disciples have no clue. Jesus is hanging out on the beach postmortem. Okay. 
Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. Notice Peter's reaction. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. Pause. Of course he was, because that's how Peter rolls. Peter's not rolling up to work with a shirt. He's the shirtless guy out working in the boat, right? He was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Peter was so excited to get to Jesus, he could not wait for everybody to row back into shore. He leaped into the sea. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was grieved because he said everything. He said this to him a third time. Do you love me, right? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, pause. Jesus is about to bring this relationship full circle. Jesus is about to restore this relationship in a very relational way. He takes him back to the start. And after he says all these things, what are the two words that Jesus says to Peter? Follow me. You love me? Follow me. Don't just follow me because of my position, Peter. Follow me because you love me. Relational leadership. Peter went on to become the catalyst for the early church. Peter preached the first gospel-centered sermon on the day of Pentecost. And in fact, he did not deny Jesus Christ again. But rather, in 67 AD, Peter willingly was martyred, put to death, crucified, here, here's the interesting part. Historians will tell you that Peter was not crucified in a normal way. No, Peter was actually crucified upside down at his request. The reason that he requested to be crucified upside down was because he said he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus was crucified in. This week in our Sea Life groups, we're going to be examining what it means to be a level two leader. And we're going to give some practical steps on how you can move from only leading those around you positionally to leading them relationally the way Jesus did. And we've got four main points that we're going to be unpacking in our Sea Life groups this week. Here they are. Number one, a level two leader first connects with themselves before they connect with others. Number two, a level two leader develops a people-oriented style of leadership. Number three, a level two leader practices the golden rule. We all like that one. Number four, a level two leader encourages and challenges 
in equal measure. Now, listen, I want to encourage you to not only attend, but to really dig in to your Sea Life groups this week as we have these discussions. Because as we always say here at Covenant Church, Sunday is just the start. And I want you to understand something else as well. Understand this. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus has never changed, nor will he, which means that Jesus wants a relationship with you. That's never changed. Jesus is a relational leader. He wants a relationship with you. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have a relationship with Jesus? I'm not asking if you've prayed a prayer. I'm not asking if you've attended a church. I'm not asking if you've gone to a camp or, or watched a movie or, 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 or something that you were a part of one time where you would walk away saying like, okay, yeah, I'm, I believe in God. No, I'm not asking if you believe that Jesus is God. I'm asking if you have a relationship with Jesus. Acknowledgement of Jesus' position alone will not save you. Scripture tells us about demons. And it says, even the demons know that Jesus is God and even shudder at his name. That's not enough to save you. What saves a person from their sin? What is enough to enter into heaven? What brings about forgiveness and salvation? I'll tell you what. It's a relationship with Jesus. Some of us, we've grown up in church. We've gone to church our whole lives. And, and now we have kids that have gone to church their whole lives. And yet, if you were to produce or provide evidence showing your relationship, the best that you could provide would be an attendance record. The issue is, when we stand before God in judgment one day, he will not ask to see your attendance record and your gold stars. He will only ask one thing. Do we have a relationship with each other? So I ask you, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Have, has there been a time in your life when you had a walk on water experience, when your view of God went from only positional to now also relational? That's Peter. for listening to this message from part two of our series, Pursue Greatness at Covenant Church. We hope you've been impacted by what you've heard today. Visit us online at covenantchurch.us where you can invest in life change through giving or find more impactful sermon audio just like this.